Has Dad even gone into work this week? Dad! 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 Dad, it's Friday. You haven't even been into the office yet. You speak tomorrow. Don't worry. I'll just buy another sermon off the internet. They can never tell. Well, uh, I found a way to get my sermon prep time down to an hour. <laughs> so I'm no longer envious of those who, um, who can do so. Uh, and I want to assure you I paid uh, top dollar for this message, so it should be, um, should be good and helpful. Uh, we come today to, um, to this fourth vice, uh, this fourth of the seven deadly sins. And I realize that with the topic of sloth, the bar is set pretty high because many of you are sort of incredulous that this sin is on the list, right? Who thinks that this is a good idea, right? They, kind of, they get together and come up with the worst things that, that are out there in the world. And they leave murder and rape and racism and genocide and lying off the list and put sleeping uh, on Sunday afternoon on it, right? Who thinks that that's, uh, that that's a good plan? And the bar is set high because, additionally, uh, many of you feel quite um, bulletproof on this particular vice. Nobody that knows me would ever accuse me of sloth. I start early, I charge through the day, I end late, I don't use all my vacation, I work hard, I play hard, I'm going all the time. I may have other challenges, but sloth is not among them. So let me just pause at the beginning and, and, and mention a couple things. First of all, it's highly likely that almost everything you think about sloth is wrong, uh, or at the very least, woefully incomplete. Uh, additionally, uh, th this is, uh, many would say, this is the sin of our age. Aldous Huxley said, this is the affliction of, of America. And additionally, it's worth noting that virtually no one who suffers from sloth thinks they suffer from sloth. So um, I had a conversation with someone a few weeks ago, and after the first sermon on pride, they said, okay, well, the good news is I got it out of the way, right? I know what my worst sin is. It came first in the list. It's pride. I'll, I'll have the next six weeks off. And then the next week they go, okay, well, so I was wrong. I, I thought it was pride. Clearly my biggest problem is anger. I'm going to have to deal with the anger. Okay, well, it's over. And then you see where this is going, envy. And I, I am quite confident that many of you are going to leave this morning going, I didn't see that coming, right? Who knew? Sloth. Clearly that's my biggest challenge. So um, I'm just setting that before you as we get started. Let me back up and get a running start here by giving you uh, a few high-level observations about this particular vice. Um, 
to start, it would say it's, it's big and bad. Um, sloth, not perhaps as you would define it at this moment, but, but the way those who put it on the list understood it. Sloth is a comprehensive, uh, insidious, common challenge. It, it just it goes in all kinds of directions. One of the uh, early writers, a, a 12th century French theologian, uh, needed 27 chapters to try and define and sort of uh, put the parameters around sloth. So it's, it's big. Additionally, it's bad. It, it is deadly. Uh, Evagrius Ponticus, the, the, the man, the desert father, late 3rd, early 4th century, who came up with the first list of eight evil thoughts that would later become the seven deadly sins, both Evagrius Ponticus and Karl Barth, one of the more prominent 20th century theologians, uh, perhaps the last theologian to make it on the cover of Time magazine for being a theologian. Uh, there was a day when being a theologian really mattered in society, not so much anymore, but uh, there he is. Uh, both Karl Barth, Evagrius Ponticus, and many others would say, this is the worst sin. This is the, this is the granddaddy uh, of them all. So it's, it's big and it's bad. Secondly, it's helpful to think uh, of it this way. Sloth is really little more than a placeholder for the sin that we have had a very difficult time trying to nail down to one word. Okay? It, theologians have been working on this for 1,800 years, and there's just not yet agreement on what term actually captures, in a comprehensive sense, this sin. Uh, as you may remember, with Evagrius, that he had the, the eight evil thoughts, he had two items on there that sort of went in this direction, sadness and sloth. A few hundred years later, Gregory the Great comes along, and he modifies the list. He, is, he really wants there only to be seven, because he believes seven is the biblical number. And uh, so he changes the list in a variety of ways. Remember, he takes pride off it, but he adds some things in. He takes sloth off, but leaves sadness on. He folds sloth under sadness. Uh, not quite a thousand years after that, we have uh, the work of uh, Thomas Aquinas. And Aquinas, in his big, masterful magnum opus, Summa Theologia, he comes at, at the seven deadly sins in a very different way than others had before him. Remember, the, the list has been developed by pastors, by spiritual directors, not by systematic theologians. It's been developed by people who are trying to help others get better. Right? So they're not coming at this they're coming at this almost more as therapy and counseling than they're coming at it uh, as a biblical study. <clears throat> so Aquinas is a, is a philosopher and theologian, and he comes at it from a more philosophical vantage point. He takes sadness off the list and puts sloth back on. When the King James translators come by, they, they don't particularly like the word sloth, and so they talk a lot about sluggards which really points people in a direction that is, is unfortunately limiting. More recently, just the last few years, 
a, a big, uh, significant book that got a lot of press came out, and it was called uh, Acedia and Me by Kathleen Norris. And uh, Kathleen Norris said, I- I'm not going to use the words we've been using, right? Sloth doesn't do it. Sadness doesn't do it. Uh, sluggard doesn't do it. So she uses the Greek term, acedia. Cedia, just without the alpha in front of it, cedia means to care. So whenever you add an alpha prefix on a word in Greek, it, it means the opposite. A theist believes in God, and a theist does not believe in God. Cedia means to care. Acedia means to not care. So there's a whole lot of different words that people have been trying to put in this list to capture the, the, the sin, the vice that the early church fathers were referring to. Third point. Um, part of the reason for the confusion is that not everybody is even talking about the same thing. So, at best, what we would think of here is that there's three levels of sloth. And uh, we need to understand that it's the third level that we really need to to focus in on. But let's start with the first level. And, and just for the record, I'm using the word, uh, I recognize the word sloth means even more than what I'm going to put up here. For starters, we have the animal, right? The uh, South and Central American animal that hangs upside down from trees. And uh, these are fascinating creatures. And it it's really, in one way, sort of speaks to just uh, the creativity of God. These, these animals... Um, their top speed is six feet a minute, okay? So they do not move quickly. And uh, because of uh, their design, they, they, it's effortless for them to hang upside down in a tree. So that's what they do most of the time. They eat whatever is close, right? They don't build a shelter. Um, they, they cannot be trained, right? They don't fetch. They, they, they'll stay if you tell them to stay. <laughs> and they sleep 10 to 15 hours a day. So I realize some of you think, this sounds remarkably like our 14-year-old son, right? <laughs> Eat whatever's close, can't be trained, sleeps 15 hours a day. Um, yes, well... No, I, I want to I not pick on 14-year-olds or 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds. I, I, entered, I entered high school uh, not quite five feet tall. I didn't weigh 100 pounds. And when I graduated four years later, I was six feet tall and weighed 140, 145 pounds. And during those four years, I was exhausted, just all four years. I barely remember my freshman and sophomore year uh, of high school. So um, there's, there's a lot of sleeping that uh, teenagers do out of necessity. And I do, not want, uh, I do not want anyone here thinking this is about them. The, the question to be asking, of course, would be, is this about me? And am I guilty of this? And perhaps an even more basic question uh, when we get started is, uh, and look at level one sloth, is to ask, is this even a sin? So level one sloth refers to uh, physical laziness. This is, this is complacency, lethargy. This is avoiding work so you can take a nap. This is parking in front of the TV with a bag of Doritos in the remote and spending the next three hours. 
right? This is, this is a whole lot about doing nothing, a lack of discipline. Uh, you might have heard it said, never put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Uh, yeah, those with level one sloth don't ever say that. It's never do today what you can put off until tomorrow. And uh, the book of Proverbs has some, some specific things to say to, in certain sections, to fools and sloths. They're often grouped together. So uh, in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Psalm 26, he uses the word loafers. Uh, and he says, loafers say, it's dangerous out there. Tigers are prowling around in the streets. And then pull the covers back over their heads. Just as a door turns on its hinges, so a lazy bones turns back on a bed. A shiftless sluggard puts his fork in the pie, but is too lazy to lift it to his mouth. Um, Okay, well, that's pretty extreme laziness. Uh, Proverbs 6 is perhaps a little bit more um, famous passage, I suspect. Um, It's it's often uh, cited when 14-year-olds are around. Uh, used to try and motivate them. Uh, There, Solomon says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food in harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like Uh, an armored man. So uh, that's classic level one laziness. And again, this is not directed at any 14-year-old. The question we would initially ask is, does it relate to me? And maybe even before that ask, is being lazy a sin? I mean, is this a real moral problem that people face? And there's a little bit of disagreement on that. Um, Those who say yes, and I would be in the camp that say, yes, laziness is a sin, would point to passages like uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, where Paul says, if you don't work, you don't eat. There were people that were not working. Okay, if you don't work, you don't eat. That simple. Uh, we, We see that early church leaders make uh, diligence the corresponding virtue to the vice of sloth. They've got an idea, clearly, that, that part of what needs to happen is that we need to be industrious, that that's, that's what we're called to. Uh, in, in men's fraternity this, uh, this fall, the, the broader question is how do we flourish, how do we thrive uh, the, the, the theme is John 10.10, 10, and Christ says, I've come that you might have life and might have it abundantly. And so the question is, what does that abundant life look like? How do we get that? How do we flourish? And so a big part of our discussion so far has been around vocation, calling, work, job, career, whatever term you want to use. And just noted, there's three classic mistakes that we make when it comes to work. The, the first one is dualism, where people say some work matters to God, other work doesn't. There's spiritual work that God cares about, and then there's secular work that God doesn't care about. He said, no, 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 all work is sacred. Your job 
whatever it is, matters to God. Right? This Sunday-Monday divide, sacred-secular divide, we don't find that in Scripture. Everything, everywhere matters to God. A second mistake we make with work is to work too much. Workaholism. And, and in particular, workaholics tend to be too identified with their job. Right? It's, it's defining me. I, as opposed to my identity coming in Christ, my identity comes with what I do. So there's, a, there's that problem. And the third common problem when it relates to work is just sloth. Level one sloth. Laziness. Not working. And one of the points that I made in men's fraternity and will make right here is, as a rule, men, and it's, this is men's fraternity is where, where I'm talking about this, as a rule, I see lots of men work too much. They tend to not get in trouble for working too much nearly as often as they get in trouble for not working enough. So when men come to me and say, sold the company, took early retirement, you know, I'm, I'm down, you know, I go, okay, you're 50 and you've got nothing to do. I'll give you three years before we have got a major crisis on our hand. Men don't do well with too much free time. It's a challenge. So, level one sloth, I would say, can be a sin. Now, to back up, part of what, when people say it's not a sin, part of what they're pushing back on is some of the work that was done by Evagrius Ponticus, who came up with this list of eight evil thoughts. And he called sloth the noonday demon. And, uh, and he would complain that uh, all of the, the, the men that he was working with, all the monks, would fall asleep after lunch in the afternoon. Okay, so they get up at 4 o'clock in the morning for a couple hours of prayer and devotion. They then work doing physical labor during the morning. They come in and eat, and then uh, they go to these scriptoriums where they're expected to sit and copy the Bible. They're in the desert. It's hot. I mean, I'm falling asleep just thinking about it. And so you go, this, is, this does not rise to the level of moral failure here. Right? Of course they're falling asleep. Right? So some of the people that say, ah, I, I don't like the way sloth can be defined by some. Okay, right. I do not want to suggest taking a nap is, is moral failure. I do not want to suggest that, that watching some TV on Sunday afternoon and falling asleep in front of the TV is sloth. No. We've got to look at the, the broader scheme of this. But there is a, uh, a laziness that is clearly sin. However, it's not a deadly sin. And nobody who came up with the list meant that, that physical laziness was the deadly sin. And we know this because they identify it as a spiritual, not a physical sin. The list has both. So there are spiritual sins like pride and envy. There are physical sins like lust and gluttony. Sloth is not a physical sin. It's a spiritual sin. So we got to go to level two. Level two sloth could be defined as despair. So you might remember the list of of, uh, eight evil thoughts included the word sadness on it. 
When you read what they were writing about sadness, you realize that at least some of the people they're describing are suffering from depression. And I don't know of anybody who wants to to label mental illness a sin. Now, depression has a variety of different causes. Many of them are physical, chemical, and hormonal, and other things. And and so that's not what we're talking about today. As I've shared in the past, my mom's father, my grandfather, uh, had mental health illnesses, uh, mentally ill his essentially his entire adult life. He was unemployable. I am not going to be in the camp that, that equates mental illness and sin. But there is another kind of sadness, if we think about that term. There is a, there is a pessimism. There is an attitude that can characterize people who just give up, who just fall into despair, who just who just say, I, you know what, I'm not going to try. And, and that, in, at one level, is often a choice that we make. It's, it's a decision. It is a lack of hope. It's a lack of faith to move in that direction. We are, as Christ followers, called to hope. Right? I, not... 24 hours ago, I was standing right here uh, officiating at a wedding. And like many weddings, they had a passage out of 1 Corinthians 13 read. And it says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And then dropping down the very end of 1 Corinthians 13, uh, verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. We are called to hope, not hope in ourselves, not hope that things are going to turn around in and of themselves, but to hope in God, to trust in God, to place our faith in God, and to not despair, you know, to not, to not give up. There's, a, there's a, uh, an equation I put up on, on the board a couple times, and it, it just basically says, high self-esteem leads to high goals, leads to high achievement, which leads back to high self-esteem. And correspondingly, low self-esteem tends to lead to low goals, tends to lead to low achievement, tends to lead back to low self-esteem. Now, it's a whole lot more complicated than this, um, but, but we recognize that this is sort of in play. And sometimes we get knocked down, right, and our achievement fails, and, and our self-esteem suffers, and we're not sure we can we get paralyzed. I don't know that I can do it. Right? I don't know that I can still do this, or I don't know that I can tackle this. And often as parents, we look on at our children and we think, oh, they just, they need a win here, right? This is so important. They need a win because that's going to help them gain some confidence to take on a few more things, and we just need a win. We're praying for a win. Now, Again, it's far more complicated. We don't have time to unpack this. I do not want to suggest low self-esteem is a sin. I'm actually more generally worried about high self-esteem because the the difference between high self-esteem and pride is very small. But I just want to say we could could change some words here and recognize that, that we fall into a despair and a 
lethargy, and a laziness that comes out of a lack of hope and trust in God. And, and it manifests itself as doing nothing, right? But the doing nothing is not the sin. It's the despair underneath it that's the sin, right? Being lazy, okay, you know, it, it, that's not a huge moral failure, but the despair under it is the problem. And, hey, it's easy to despair, Right? I mean, if, if we're paying attention to everything that's going on, the problems are big. Next week, we've got, uh, we've got Bobby Gupta coming in, and he is going to share about the plight of kids around the world and all the unbelievable challenges that are faced by some kids in terms of poverty and lack of food and clean water and sex trafficking and everything else. It's easy to despair and to say, you know what, I can't, I can't move the needle on that problem. And to not try. And I can't even think about it because it hurts so much to think about it. So I'm going to not think about it. I, I remember the first time I, I was eye to eye with, with second level sloth. It was in my first, um, my first ministry assignment. I was a college pastor. And I, I just, you know what? I just hit a point where I didn't care. And it wasn't. It wasn't, you know, physical exhaustion. I'd, I'd already done that, sort of hit the wall, ended up sick and in the hospital briefly and had, thankfully, the doctors were saying I had some tropical illness, and I'm going, I've not ever been in the tropics. Uh, keep trying, but it's not that. And a couple older men came in, and they said, we, we, knew, you'd, we knew you'd end up here. You had absolutely no boundaries. You were just running too hard, so you hit the wall, and... I, okay, did that, trying not ever to do that again, check the box. This was not that. Additionally, this was not doubt. I, I don't really struggle much with doubt. I have, I have good friends that struggle with doubt, good friends in ministry that are occasionally paralyzed by doubt. I, it took a long time for me to step over the line. It was hard for me to believe and to trust. And I still have unanswered questions, but I'm not really prone to doubt in that sense. This was something different. This was, I don't care, right? I was working with college students, and I said, you know what? They're all idiots, and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of trying to talk them out of doing stupid things. I'm sick of bailing them out when they get in trouble. If they want to make a mess of their lives, fine. I'm, I'm not going to worry about it. And I'm, I'm sick of people taken without giving back. And I'm sick of people just, you know, ne- I'm, I'm sick of being the only one that seems to be trying to, to do the right thing with this ministry. I'm just, I'm, I'm tired. I'm not going to do it anymore. There was a bunch of homeless people. We were a, a city church. So there was a lot of homeless people always around. And I said, I'm sick of the homeless people. I'm sick of their stories. I'm sick of helping. I'm sick of it. And I sat in the senior pastor's office and I said, why do we, why are we doing this? Why do we do this? Right? I mean, we're not making a difference. And, and they don't seem to care, so I don't care. And I remember thinking, Mike, you probably shouldn't be saying quite this much to your boss <laughs> at this moment. Then I thought, but I don't care. <laughs> right? I just don't care. And he listened, and he said, um, I, I have been where you're at, 
And you need to go look at what Paul says in Galatians 6. And it was, do not grow weary of doing good. Right? You can hold on to that. Do not grow weary of doing good. And level two sloth is a despair that grows weary of doing good. And it is uh, a sin. But I do not believe that is what the ancients were talking about when they put this on the, the, the list. I think that what we need to understand as level three sloth, the key issue that was in play, is a laziness in our love of God. Laziness in our love of God. See, laziness is not the issue. And some people are lazy because they're just lazy and they have no discipline and they're just going to, you know, stay in bed. Some people are lazy because of despair. But you can't go after despair by going after despair. Right? That's one of the things with these sins. Right? If you're angry, it doesn't do any good for somebody to tell you to not be angry. That actually makes you angrier. Right? So you, you can't just go right at the sin. You have to understand what is leading to it. And many times the despair is caused by a lack of, of love for God. A failure to do the things that love requires. And that is where sloth particularly lies. And... Here's pay dirt. Here's the big point of the message. Well, failure to attend to God can be caused by sheer laziness. It is often the result of excessive busyness. Being busy is a classic symptom of sloth. Being busy is a classic symptom of sloth. It could be that the failure to attend to the things that love requires is because of just a lack of discipline, right? You just, you'd rather sleep. So as opposed to getting up and and spending some time in the morning in reflection and Bible study and prayer, right? 10 plus 10, we talk about. 10 minutes a day reading the Bible, 10 minutes of prayer, as opposed to saying, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to do that. Uh, You're just lazy and you go, I'm not going to get up, I'm going to sleep in. But it doesn't matter if it's that laziness or if you say, I don't have time to do that because my day is packed. It doesn't matter. It is, by definition, sloth. It is a failure to attend to the things that love requires. <clears throat> We've showed um, some videos in this series, and I, I have one I want to show you here. Um, and by the way, aren't you glad that I have not called you to ask you to share? Right? Imagine getting the call. I'm preaching on pride, and I would like you to share. Uh, I'm preaching on anger. I'm preaching on sloth, and I thought of you. Now, 
in all fairness to Diana, and this will become quite clear, uh, I didn't know much of Diana's story, but what I knew about Diana is everybody that talked about Diana talked about how unbelievably busy she was. And I knew that that was the way I was going to have to approach sloth. In this zip code, the sin is most likely embraced by busyness, not by lethargy. So I knew I was going to have to go after that. I didn't script any of these people. And, and what Diana shares is actually uh, wonderful. And there's a whole lot about what she's doing that I say doesn't, doesn't move towards sloth. But you can see it from there, and as she will acknowledge. So let's, let's uh, watch this video. My name is Diana Kim, and my family's been coming to Christ Church since 2002. No one would ever classify me as being lazy. I've always been busy. For example, in high school, I not only played my first chair flute in the band, but I had to join the marching band and do its flag corps. And then I actually also helped out in the nursing home and in the hospitals. I also joined the German club, which I don't speak any German. I think I just thought I should do as much as possible. So I figured I could meet more people and be involved in more things. I joined a volunteer club in college too, just to help volunteer with more things. I did think God was really important to people and I really invested quite a bit of time in like the parachurch organizations like InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I really thought it was good for kids, my fellow college students to go to church, but they didn't have a car. And in order for me to bring as many people as I could, I had to go get a bus, but the bus wasn't on campus. The bus was half an hour away. I met my husband back in college and we started dating in medical school. We found this Lydia home, for a, a home for abused and neglected children that we could go and help out. So I would rally all of my medical school friends and say, let's go, we're gonna take these kids out. And we would go to their home and try to love on them. Six months with starting my private practice, I had my first baby and followed by two more. So I had three kids and that's when I truly understood what mothers did all day long. And then I had to work too. I had a full-time practice and I did uh, call every other night and every other weekend, which I still do. And sometimes it's um, challenging, I think, because we always want to spend quality time with our children and um, we also want to do well at our work. I know that my kids always want me home more and they, especially my little ones, always ask me, why do you have to go to work? Just stay home. Well, I think I got my attention last year when I decided I was going to read through the Bible again because it had been quite a while and, and it was just a, um, I guess it was a time where I actually slowed down and reflected on how God wants you to run your life. I think it does give us all a more sense of a purpose, that our life is not just to achieve the biggest and the best. Our goal really is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And sometimes we do that by rest. I definitely struggle with this uh, tension of trying to let go and reflect and let God lead me. The reason we're here is for an eternal purpose, not just for swimming and volleyball and work for tomorrow. Jeremiah 29:11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And to me, this means that 
I don't have to work so hard. God already has a plan for our lives. So our most important thing is to seek God and have Him direct us because He already knows the best plan for us. In her book, Glittering Vices, Rebecca DeYoung, a professor at Calvin College whose doctoral work and subsequent work um, has been on the seven deadly sins, uh, she suggests that when it comes to sloth, that you compare your relationship with God to a marriage, which, of course, Scripture also encourages us to think about. And then she says, married love is eternal, but it's also daily, and occasionally about as daily and unromantic as housekeeping. So she goes on to say that when you get married, your life changes. You make adjustments. You attend to the things that love requires. That love makes demands. And that you have to be aware of those demands. And some of them are as daily and unromantic as housekeeping. But they have to be done. She then says, we should think of our relationship with God in similar ways. There are parts of it that are eternal and big and easy, and there are parts of it that are as daily and unpleasant as housework. But if you have entered into a relationship with God through Christ, there are things that love demands. There are requirements. You attend to those requirements. Now, if you've been here, you've heard me trip all over myself to try and make the point over and over again, we don't earn God's love. We don't earn God's love. We do not earn God's love. We do not earn our salvation. But there's a difference between uh, earning our salvation and the efforts that are expected to grow in Christ. And effort is expected and required. If you want to become more the person you want to become, then you will attend to the things that love requires. And some of them are easy, and a whole lot of them are just daily. Right? It's just a matter of saying, I'm married, consequently, these are the things that I do. And there's no great mystery here. We've talked about these things over and over, right? The things that love demands... Involvement at a church where for 2,000 years people have gathered together for the sacraments, for prayer, for worship, for instruction from the apostles' teaching. And the things that love demands are that we're in relationship with other Christ followers, people who love God and love us. And the thing that love demands is that we have our own habits, our own spiritual disciplines that include certainly as a, as a starting point time in the Bible every day and prayer. And the things that love requires are that we serve. And the things that love requires are that we share our faith and we share our finances and we share. There, there are things that we must attend to. Sloth, at its most sinister level, is failing to attend to the things that will cultivate our relationship with God. And we can do that because we're lazy or we can do that because we have failed to protect enough time to do that. It doesn't really matter. 
that's sloth. Anything that leads us to fail to attend to our relationship with God is sloth. Laziness, it's just a symptom. (laughs) Despair is just, at one level, a symptom of doing the things that a relationship with God requires. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we are, um, we are aware that all of these sins and others um, plague us and undo us, and that we are uh, selfish and full of pride and lust and greed and anger, and um, an apathy or a laziness or a carelessness that... I'll, that, that allows us to have priorities that don't reflect what we would say our priorities are. And so I, I pray, Father, for myself as I pray for others, that we would have some clarity as to appropriate next steps. I pray that those who are, um, those who are overcommitted for all the wonderful reasons that we can get overcommitted, um, would sense your grace as they move forward, especially tired, exhausted 14-year-olds and young moms and others who are just doing everything they can to try and hold it together. I just pray, Father, that um, you would help them to see the, the many ways that their thinking can change and you can be a bigger part of their life. And pray for those who are who have calendars that are full of important things and who have uh, taken some measure of pride, as we all do, of all the important things that we have to do. I pray for some ability to see what's ultimately important um, and to make our uh, ongoing cultivation and attendance to the things that our love for you requires a priority. Guide us to that end. Amen.